Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good afternoon and welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California. My name is Ben Doherty and I'll be your moderator this afternoon. I'm an international affairs correspondent for The Guardian and have spent more than a decade reporting across the Asia-Pacific region, including postings in Southeast Asia, South Asia, and most recently as Pacific Editor. During my time as Pacific Editor, I've seen firsthand the critical nature of the conservation work being undertaken in Micronesia, a region highly vulnerable to the increasing threats of climate change, such as sea level rise, coral reef destruction, and coastal erosion caused by powerful storms. As a result, a growing number of people in this part of the Western Pacific Ocean are becoming, or at risk of becoming climate displaced, leaving their ancestral homes that can no longer support communities and cultures that have existed for hundreds and even thousands of years. But there is good news, and the good news is the focus of this panel discussion today, is that over the past 15 years, the people of Micronesia have joined together to advance one of the world's most important international conservation commitments known as the Micronesia Challenge. And this year, these nations and American territories are establishing bold new goals for 2030 to save coastlines, to save forests and to save marine areas that are key to self-sufficient communities and economic prosperity. The global pandemic, which has disrupted supply chains and security of imports reaching these remote places, has underscored the need for Pacific Island nations to revive traditional crops, to better manage local fishing waters and other considerations towards self-sufficiency. This program is one of a series of good news stories from the Asia-Pacific Affairs Forum chaired by Ian McQuaig. This event is being recorded and live-streamed on the Commonwealth Club's YouTube channel and will be available for download later on commonwealthclub.org. Thank you very much for joining this afternoon and we encourage you to become a member of the club. To learn more, please visit the website. Now, I'd like, you to, I'd like to welcome our distinguished panel for today. Today's participants have been key champions of the Micronesia Challenge since its inception in 2006, and a very special welcome to you all. Our first guest is Willie Kostka, the Executive Director of the Micronesia Conservation Trust, which oversees marine and island conservation work under the Micronesian Challenge. Willie is the recipient of the Pew Marine Fellowship, the world's most prestigious marine conservation fellowship, and lives on the island of Pompeii, which is located in the, fe the Federated States of Micronesia, about 3,200 miles southwest of Honolulu. Next, Kate Brown is the Executive Director of the Global Island Partnership, an initiative that enables island leaders and their supporters to take action to build resilient and sustainable island communities. Originally from New Zealand, Kate lived for eight years in Samoa and for 10 years in Washington, D.C., she now resides in the town of Mount Monganui, the beautiful town of Mount Monganui in New Zealand. Kate recently received the Global Impact Award from our alma mater, Curtin University in Australia. And finally, Trina Leberer is the Director of Pacific Regional Partnerships for the Nature Con Conservancy. Throughout her career, Trina has focused on collaborative strategies for community-based conservation and marine protected areas in the Pacific Islands. She has lived on the island of Guam for 27 years and prior to joining the Nature Conservancy in 2004, she worked for the Guam Division of Aquatic and Wildlife Resources for seven years as a biologist, fisheries supervisor and acting chief. I'd like to start our conversation with Willie, our Micronesian on the panel. Now, Willie, I'd, I'd suggest many of the attendees listening to us today and watching us today don't know a great deal about Micronesia as a region and never visited Micronesia. Can you give us, uh, I suppose, a broad overview of the Micronesian region, where it's located and some of the environmental challenge, it, challenge, challenges that, that the region faces? Because 
Some of those challenges are, are global. The, the impact of climate change contributing to rising seas, increasing natural disasters. We know Palau just, has, has just experienced a, a, a very destructive cyclone. But some of those are also very particular to the Micronesian region, such as the, ingo- the ongoing impacts and legacy of nuclear testing. Uh, why is Micronesia so critical to global biodiversity? Thank you very much, uh, Ben, and good morning uh, to everybody. I just want to say Casilelia um, to uh, the people in the Bay Area. Uh, and I actually, uh, my mom's from Santa Rosa, uh, so I went to Santa Rosa Junior College and uh, a bit familiar with the Bay Area. I spent two years uh, in the Bay Area there, so I'm a 49ers fan. Um, I, I actually... Uh, <laughs> I actually um, uh, live on the small island of Pompeii, which is uh, one of the high islands uh, in Micronesia. And uh, if you think about Micronesia, uh, we're the place where CNN or other large um, networks usually say that when typhoons are heading over to the Philippines or Japan, they're uh, in open ocean. And that's uh, usually pretty um, funny to us because it usually means that typhoons are pummeling our islands before they get to those uh, those um, uh, two uh, Asian countries. So we're we're between the Philippines and Hawaii, um, and right north of uh, Papua New Guinea. Uh, just to give you a, a better understanding of where we are, and um, you know we have a, about two thousand islands across. Micronesia, from large um, high uh, volcanic islands to very small uh, atoll islands and uh, that are um, inhabited uh, by the Micronesian people uh, with about 12 um, distinct languages and a number of dialects. And there's about 650,000 people across Micronesia uh, from uh, Palau, Federated States of Micronesia, uh, Marshall Islands, Guam, and the Commonwealth of the Northern Marianas Islands. And we are a very significant area in terms of biodiversity uh, because we're right um, uh, right outside the Coral Triangle. Uh, with, and so the, um, there's a pretty high biodiversity here, over uh, 480 species of corals, over 130, uh, uh, 1,300 reefs fish species, 85 bird species, most are endemic, and 140 plant species. Um, we do also have about 66 threatened species uh, in the IUCN red list. Um, so while we have a lot of biodiversity, we do have uh, a lot of our uh, endemic species threatened uh, from uh, human activities and climate change. And so uh, because the islands are so um, low in many areas where the people are um, living, uh, we've had uh, tidal waves, um, storm surges uh, come into farmlands on the coastal areas in the high islands and over the atolls. um, And they've really disrupted, uh, you know, people's lives and livelihoods. So... um, we are dealing with those. We, uh, I will talk more a little, a little more about those later on in the in the conversation. But thank you very much.
Willie, just to, to, to follow up on that, I mean, Micronesia is a, is a geographic region, as you say, uh, a, a very vast one, more than 2,000 uh, islands. It's an ecological one, but it's also a, a cultural one with a, with a sense of shared values and a, and a sense of solidarity and a political one. You know, you have five sovereign nations, you know, you have the states that are compact states with the US, others which are, are former British colonies. And it feels to me we find Micronesia at a sort of critical inflection point in its relationship with the uh, with the, the global community and with the rest of the Pacific. Uh, Micronesia has always been a little bit separate, I suppose, from the Melanesian and, and Polynesian regions of the Pacific. We've seen Micronesian countries withdraw from the Pacific Islands Forum and we've just seen you know the rest of the forum come back to Micronesia saying, please, we need you back in the forum. Um, we've seen people like uh, David Kabua at... Um, at, uh, at the, the, the Joe Biden Climate Summit, you know, really um, uh, uh, sort of uh, leading the, 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 the charge on, on, on emissions reduction, those sorts of things. Can you, can you speak to, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about that sense of Micronesian identity and that Micronesian sense of solidarity? Yes, thank you very much. So our cultures are, um, you know, pretty um, while diverse, are, are pretty similar in many cases. And humility is usually the main thing for Micronesians and working together and working with families um, is more important than any other thing. And especially the guardian of our land. Um, in, in Pompeii, they say that the only time when a man would go to war is over land. And so the you, you grow up um, really attached to the land. And um, so the... Um, the, the, the feeling of stewardship uh, is in, instilled in Micronesians right away. And, um, but we are part of the larger Pacific family. And um, yes, as you said, we, we sort of um, have had our challenges with the rest of the Pacific, but uh, I think we will come back to the table and be part of the Pacific Forum again. I'm quite uh, positive about this. Uh, Willie, I, I uh, just finally, I, I think um, a lot of people in the US and, and elsewhere uh, across the globe who are listening to us today, I suppose, don't know that many of their sort of grocery staples come directly from your region. What, what is Micronesia's significance, in the, particularly in the global seafood industry? Well, um, I mean, we bring about uh, $500 million of um, uh, value of fish uh, to the markets annually. Um, uh, and... and you know, the Western Pacific Ocean provides about 60% of the world's tuna. Uh, but uh, Micronesia, uh, as, as in my country alone, Federated States of Micronesia, provides about 3% of that. And so some of the tuna that you're getting in your stores um, are from, from our region. And, and even some of the sushi that you're, you're eating in your restaurants, uh, even in the Bay Area, are coming from uh, our area, but uh, more, I think, more significantly is the fact that um, in nearshore fisheries provides about sixty uh, percent of what the people of Micronesia are uh, eating in terms of proteins. So it's very critical that we manage our um, fisheries resources; otherwise, we would lose that um, significant part of our protein intake, uh, which is the um, actually the the uh, nutritious uh, protein that you um, you are having to take, but we do um, provide a significant amount to the world um, tuna um, food industry. 
I'd, I'd like now to, to bring in Kate Brown, the Executive Director of Global Island Partnership, who has worked on island conservation with heads of states from the Seychelles to Grenada in the, in the Caribbean. Kate, you've seen the impacts of climate change and unsustainable development in island nations all around the world. How do Micronesians today view climate change and what impacts have they seen to their communities and to their natural resources? I think that I've seen the evidence of Micronesia's efforts and that perspective around the world. Um, they're advocating for action at the global level, particularly leading on 1.5. Um, and really through things like the Micronesia Challenge and their leadership of that, but there's a whole range of things where you'll see really Micronesians and Micronesian leaders and Micronesian organisations punching way above their weight. And I think it really builds on what Willie was talking about, the recognition of stewardship of resources um, and responsibility to future generations, which you see um, very strongly articulated in a lot of what people talk about. And I think that's really important. But the threats that they're facing aren't long-term threats. I think for a lot of us, you know, here in my, where I'm living, I can think, well, you know, we're going to have increased water scarcity and drought. But that's not, you know, that's kind of over a longer um, time frame. But in some of the islands in, in Micronesia, they're going to be without potable drinking water in the next 15 years. It's not... You know, this is this is things that are happening now, and it's very tangible. Um, they see the damage, as you said rightly, from um, within Palau, but from typhoons and the increasing um, tropical storms and floods and drought, which are intensifying. And then we're seeing um, really the impacts on livelihoods, fisheries, food security, uh, the species and the ecosystems that have really sustained Micronesians for millennia. And I think. Um, for some of Micronesia, it's a real existential threat. You know, I hear um, particularly when when they talk about this, the the concern and wonder about what the future kind of looks like for them. But I think the what we see through things like the Micronesia Challenge is they're not giving up because of this. They're not denying that these things are a reality. And I think for what we see across Micronesia, there's recognition of the need for adaptation and for improved management of natural resources that's coming from Micronesians, not from people outside of Micronesia. Um, I was on the Micronesia Challenge virtual forum last week, which had the leaders of all of the Micronesian uh, countries and um, territories that are involved in the Micronesia Challenge, and they all touched on the importance of this action for future generations of Micronesians and the recognition that in working together in identifying and sharing solutions that this will lead towards securing that future. And I think this is really recognition that the Micronesia re region is committed to action and needs support to fill the gap between what they've been able to do with their own resources um, and their own ingenuity in many ways and what needs external report. And as you rightly said, mm -hmm. Ben, the problem of climate change is global but the impacts are very local and we see things like what the Micronesia Challenge is one of the solutions to that. And I also want to um, speak to President Kabua's um, engagement last week, the president of the mm. Marshall Islands in the Biden Climate Summit. He really represented the voices of islands around the world as one of the few, I think there are only three island speakers in the leaders segment of the summit. And that's really significant in itself, that voice being there. And then also in sharing the stage with the world's biggest economies, he talked about their realities in a way I think that really cut through, you know, a lot of 
speeches and a lot of video fatigue, but also I think very clearly identifying the need to increase funding to go towards adapting to the effects of climate change. So there's, you know, the solutions that Micronesians can apply locally, but there's also kind of the issue is huge and it needs external support. Mm. I'm, I'm I'm interested when you you talked about that you know the 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 need for external funding and and external support. I mean, one of the most uh, sort of obvious manifestations and 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 things that people talk about a lot is is, is looking at, at sea level rise impacting communities on on low level islands. There's there's a great deal of discussion about potential of climate induced migration, potentially forcing people from their homes. But there's also it it feels to me like there's there's a, there's a, a um, there's a tension in, in addressing that issue because people fundamentally don't want to move. People want to stay in the homelands, the lands of their ancestors and the environments that they've known and, and cared for their whole lives. Is it difficult then? Is there a tension then in sort of raising the issue of, of forced migration because of climate change, because of, of a belief that or, uh, uh, that an attention and effort towards cli- you know, towards the issue of climate-induced migration sort of weakens that argument they, that, that Kabua and others are making around you know, uh, uh, arguments towards adaptation and mitigation. Uh, uh, is there is there a, a, a sort of tension there? And, and how do people in Micronesia and in in in, um, in low lying islands across the world feel about about that that potential? Yeah, I mean there is, and um, but I think just by the actions, by their actions, you can see that they're not saying, "Well, let's just give up and move." They're saying, "We we have been here for generations, and we want to continue here." And we need to do everything we can to make that a reality, whether that's advocating at the global level and whether or whether it's implementing things at the local level. Because if they if they were to just think, well, let's um, let's kind of focus on something else, you wouldn't be doing things like the Micronesia Challenge. Mm-hmm. You'd sort of be moving yeah. on and looking at other opportunities. What we see, and I think it's the power of something like the Micronesia Challenge, which I've always um, really appreciated, is um, a lot of in the previous funding cycles of the challenge that's really been a match between what governments have been able to allocate from their own um, resource mobilisation efforts and what the international community is able to provide. And I think that is a power in itself. This is not kind of aid. This is something that's supporting mm-hmm. the development of Micronesia and which Micronesians are invested in. And I, I think that story is not told enough, and it should be, um, about kind of the courage and really punching above their weight that Micronesians are doing, even in the face of um, these massive external and local um, issues. Trina, now in direct response to the to the threats that, that Kate has discussed here and, and Willie has discussed here, the people of Micronesia launched the Micronesia Challenge in 2006 to protect their natural resources and to safeguard them for the future. Can you talk about what the Micronesia Challenge is and how this initiative was forged? Sure. Um, it, it, yeah, so Kate's been mentioning it a lot, as has Willie, and um, so we'll take a step back. And uh, the idea for the Micronesia Challenge came from former president uh, from Palau, Tommy Rumengosau Jr., who proposed to his fellow leaders at um, a meeting in Palau in 2005, the U.S. Coral Reef Task Force, that um, we need to do something big. We need to, to um, tackle some of these threats. And, because you know, as Kate and Willie have mentioned, the five jurisdictions have amazing biodiversity. They have cultures that embrace um, conserving nature for future generations. But they were also facing these new emerging bigger threats like climate change, 
so they, the five really came together. They felt compelled to join forces to, to try and tackle these threats together. So in 2006, um, the, this original Micronesia Challenge commitment was launched, and it's um, a commitment to effectively conserve at least 30% of the nearshore marine resources and at least 20% of the terrestrial resources across the whole region by the year 2020. And this was really um, bold. It was really groundbreaking because um, for a few reasons, the, it was the first of its kind that was multiple countries and territories trying to work together. It was the percentages were more than double the ones that were currently being embraced at the time by the global community of um, 10% and 12%. And they, you know, it was really designed around effective conservation. So there was really this push to have, um, there was always an intention to ensure that there would be sustainable funding and um, uh, sustainable financing mechanisms within the countries to really tie, you know, tied to these achievements and to really achieve the goal. And, and, and Trina, I suppose, how has the challenge influenced other small island nations around the world who are facing similar threats? How has it changed conservation on, on Guam, where, where you live? I mean, Guam has a, has a particular um, uh, political history and, and, and cultural history, and there are, there are issues on Guam around, uh, you know, military build-up, expansion of military bases, and those sorts of things. Can you, can you speak to that issue? Sure. Yeah. Even at the very beginning, at the launch of the, the challenge, the Caribbean nations were standing up and saying, hey, we like this idea. And we're already starting to think about the Caribbean challenge. And then following um, very quickly after was the Coral Triangle Initiative, the Aloha Plus Challenge in Hawaii, um, the Western Indian Ocean Coastal Challenge. And it still continues through that, especially under the um, platform and partnership of the Global Island Partnership. Um, and then, as you said, it kind of came full circle when um, Guam sort of embraced the idea of the Aloha Plus Challenge and the Hawaii Green Growth Initiative to um, launch our own Guam Green Growth Initiative in 2019 to really look at holistically what are we going to do. We have um, working groups for things like thriving natural resources, sustainable alliances for um, healthy communities. And it is this idea of how is Guam, even though the U.S. is not a signatory to certain um, of the conventions, you know, Guam, we do embrace the, the sustainable development goals, and this is Guam's way of achieving those sustainable development goals. And it's our governor, Lourdes A. Leon Guerrero, has, she chairs this, and then she became the newest chair of the Global Land Partnership. So it really has come full circle that we're, you know, I think Kate alluded to this, like, Islanders um, really learn best from each other and work best together. And Willie mentioned that as well, that we really pull together. There's a, there's a, um, and I use the term we, uh, for the collective, but it's an idea of, um, you know, really uh, knowing that we're stronger together than if we try to go it alone. One of the themes that, that that is emerging from from all of the panels today seems to be this this uh, this sense of the of the immense power that lies in in local action, in community action, in regional action, sort of pushing up, you know, a, a real grassroots effort and uh, a community endeavour, sort of pushing upwards to the to the regional and to the and to the um, to the global level. Um, Willie, on the sort of a, a, a same question to you on, on the sort of local angle, you live on the island of Pompeii. It's home to about sort of 36, 36 37,000 people. How has the Micronesia Challenge influenced efforts to protect fishing grounds and other important community resources? You mentioned earlier that um, that 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 uh, inland or uh, um, uh, in, inshore fishing grounds 
serve as a as a as a key staple for for the for the people living on your island? How how has that how 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 has the island gone about its efforts to to protect those fishing grounds? Yes, uh, thank you, Ben. So, um, you know, the, um, the Micronesia Challenge has basically, like Trina and Kate uh, mentioned, basically changed us from being uh, victims, feeling uh, like we're the victims, to be uh, feeling like we're the leaders uh, in conservation today. And we are no longer isolated. With the Micronesia Challenge and with all the other initiatives that we've created, uh, we've help to uh, leverage across the globe. It feels like we are now part of a larger movement. And uh, it's, um, you know, taken um, the, um, you know, the, f- the feelings that we have of hopelessness uh, with the climate uh, change uh, impacts on our islands to having these uh, solutions that are being driven by the Micronesia Challenge um, so that local communities now know exactly what they need to do uh, in terms of uh, being able to start to do the adaptation efforts uh, on their own. Um, when we started um, uh, the conservation uh, movement in Micronesia in the 90s, uh, it was a pretty lonely place to be. Uh, there was just a few of us. And now we have hundreds uh, and thousands of uh, people who, and organizations that are involved. And, uh, the, you know, the, the most gratifying is to see the young people now, the young champions who are taking over uh, from us. And uh, it doesn't feel so lonely anymore. And you have some concrete, um, you know, um, outcomes uh, and benefits uh, to the people, so it's it's been a real um, a real change in the way we uh, we feel about um, you know the the threats that we face and uh, the solutions that we are um, now implementing. So um, we do have a saying from some of the our uh, people who live in the in the atolls is that. Uh, you know, what you lack in resources, you must make up for in innovation. Uh, and momoten punchakai mei or memoren punchakai mei. And it comes from the people who live on the small atolls who have to live uh, day to day, you know, um, sharing the finite resources that they have. And so um, I, I think the Micronesia Challenge has provided that platform for all of us. I mean, Micronesia doesn't have all its, the resources we need to protect our islands, but because of the innovative ways we've come together uh, to solve these problems, we've actually gotten the international community uh, to be interested in supporting uh, the work that we're doing. And so we've been able to bring those resources that uh, have um, matched our own in-kind uh, you know, um, support here in the islands. That's a really powerful point, uh, Willie, that, that sense of empowerment and agency. And, and while Micronesia might not have all the resources, it has the innovation and the initiative and, and the passion to, to, to bring about these changes. Um, uh, kia ora, Kate. I'm, I, I'm interested to, to, to ask you the, about the Micronesia Challenge. It's not only influenced these other inter, in, international conservation commitments that we heard uh, Trina speaking about, but it works as well to achieve broader goals um i'm thinking of the un sustainable development goals can you can you talk about the un's sdgs and how the challenge is working to achieve those for the people of micronesia you know it's it's given micronesia um a a pathway to achieving those those sustainable development goals 
Yes, very much I can. Um, in fact, it kind of links back to what Trina was talking about with um, how Micronesia Challenge inspired these other challenges. So the one in the Caribbean mm. is very much a conservation um, commitment. But when we get to Hawaii um, with the Aloha Plus Challenge, all named after Micronesia Challenge, um, that one is actually a green growth commitment. It already started the process of trying to broaden um, to look at how it deals with the broader issues of sustainability and climate um, in an island context and very much learning from both Micronesia and other island regions. So all of these build on each other and a lot of the, the glue for that is partnerships like ours, the Global Island Partnership, to try and kind of connect the different players. When we get, so Hawaii has really seen what it's doing as um, implementing the sustainable development goals. And now we see in Micronesia, kind of like a circle happening, Micronesia is um, connecting itself and its next kind of um, political commitment to the SDGs. And so the, the sustainable development goals for people that don't know um, are coming out of the UN, but they're really the all the negotiators, the world's shared plan to end extreme poverty, reduce inequality, and protect the planet by 2030. Um, so easy, really. <laughs> it's huge, it's ambitious, but I think each each country and each entity, so even um, it's everyone is implementing the Sustainable Development Goals, can create their own plan for doing that. And in Micronesia, particularly around um, addressing the natural resource-oriented SDGs, um, this one is very um, locally derived, so coming from the ground up rather than kind of something imposed from people outside of Micronesia, but very ambitious at the same time as being realistic. And that's a very difficult um, road and path to take, to be honest. So, I mean, it really, I really think it speaks to Micronesians and broader island strengths around the systems thinking, the ability to live in a, a bounded system in the sense that they have finite resources and they have to figure out how to deal with that. And then also around collaboration and partnership, innovation and stewardship. These are all kind of things that we see very much in an island space. Um, and I think the exciting thing and where we see this really being recognised is that one of the other outcomes of last week was the announcement by... Um, the White House of one of the deliverables of the Biden Climate Summit was this new network called Local 2030 Islands Network, which very much is building on what Micronesia Challenge has done and which Micronesia Challenge is involved with, but which is looking mm -hmm. globally um, at islands and the SDGs. And, it, and it's really a peer-to-peer -peer network, um, which is going to be supported by the US um, and really bring the best of its own islands, including Guam. And I really do want to acknowledge the efforts of Guam with the Guam Green Growth Initiative, because this is a big shift into a very different space. And I think, you know, I see panels like this a lot and I, I really have been working, I think, for the last 16 years on the Micronesia Challenge, which does seem also a very long time. But, you know, it's, it's really rare to see just this amazing mix of political leadership, real on the ground um, effort and impact um, and kind of mobilization over time. And I think these are the things that the local 2030 Islands Network is going to um, build from. And I think what's really neat about it is that now we see Hawaii coming back to help 
with what they've learnt on doing their own initiative. So it's kind of a an endless circle of learning from each other and peer support. Um, and this other network, it's um, involves islands from Ibiza in the Europe in European islands, the Caribbean islands. Um, to other U.S. islands like Puerto Rico and Hawaii, as I said, um, and also um, Federated States and Micronesia and Marshall Islands. And I think that Micronesia Challenge can really see itself as one of the reasons why this thing is going to exist and some of the values Mm -hmm. that it will take forward into the world is coming out of this region. So, you know, really congratulations to to the proponents of the challenge. Trina, Kate made a, a, a really strong point there about the the, the alignment of, of political leadership and grassroots endeavour to you know being behind the success of the Micronesia Challenge. I, I'm wondering, can you can you tell me about uh, what the Micronesia Challenge has achieved over the past 15 years? How the nations and territories of the region are advancing new targets for 2030? It's it it, it feels like now is the time to reset and 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 look at the next decade approaching. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, you know, we recently completed a comprehensive evaluation of the initial MC commitment and collectively, collectively, we have achieved some amazing things. Um, because of the Micronesia Challenge, there are more than 70 new conservation areas, both marine and terrestrial, established across all the jurisdictions. Community support for conservation efforts has increased in the majority of sites. There are 20 new fisheries management policies enacted based on standardized marine data collected by the MC monitoring team. And if you're a scientist like me, you know how hard it is to get people to standardize around a method. So that's huge. Um, 3,000 practitioners have been trained over the 15 years in tools and methods that are helping them contribute to the effective conservation target. Um, We've got 72 new management plans or climate adaptation plans, and there have been 65 socioeconomic assessments as well. Um, And really exciting is sort of building the pipeline for new leaders in the region. So we've supported 96 college certificates, degrees, or internships for um, the youth and staff of like local conservation NGOs and local agencies. We have the Micronesia Challenge Young Champion Internship Program, the Bill Rayner Micronesia Challenge Scholarship Program, uh, a partnership in Japan with APIC and uh, Sophia University. Um, and this is also pretty huge. Um, Kate uh, mentioned this, but we've had that through the 15 years, we've had 18 elected leadership changes and all of them have continued to embrace the Micronesia challenge as a unifying um, overarching goal to really um, get at effective conservation. But uh, well, one more quick note, and then I'll, I'll launch into the um, new goals and targets. Um, we've, re- we've leveraged more than $85 million for conservation in Micronesia because of this um, collective action. And that includes a regional endowment housed at Micronesia Conservation Trust, Willie's organization, that's um, now at about a, a bit over $25 million. So that's also huge. But we know we're not done. There are, you know, climate change is the impacts are increasing, they're, they're looming. And so there's other um, issues that we're all facing, like COVID-19 showed us that, that we are all, you know, that we really need to um, continue to work on local food production and things like that. So we, the leaders have endorsed, uh, Kate mentioned the forum last week and the, the, um, in 2019 at the Micronesian Island Forum, the leaders endorsed the Micronesia Challenge 2030. And then they, they sort of um, 
reiterated their commitment last week. And it's new Boulder commitments. It's at least 50% of marine, uh, effective management of marine resources. And now it's no longer just near shore, but now it's out to the exclusive economic zones, which is in general 200 nautical miles from each place. Uh, 30% terrestrial to kind of um, align with what is expected to be the 30 by 30 goal in the UN Convention on Biological Diversity for terrestrial. And then it now includes really specific goals beyond spatial protection targets. It's now, um, there are goals to improve livelihoods, to improve climate resilience for nature and communities, to integrate fisheries management um, within the other conservation efforts, to reduce invasive species, and to restore habitats. And now it's by the year 2030. So it's very exciting. We're working on um, uh, how the how to roll it out in each place. Each place has their own way of achieving these things, like the Guam green growth in um, my home island. And so we'll also be uh, re, um, revising and, and looking at the sustainable finance targets to get to that, those, tar- those to reach those goals. And so it, it is a very exciting time. Willie, I suppose, look, the, the, uh, Trina has, has laid out an, an extraordinary um, body of work, both achieved and, and before the Micronesia Challenge. But what does it take to fund this work, I suppose, if we want to talk nuts and bolts, how much money has the Micronesia Conservation Trust raised thus far and, and, and where has it come from? Well, uh, thank you, Ben. Um, you know, when, we, when we've um, looked at the sustainable financing um, uh, and developed a sustainable financing plan uh, over 10 years ago, we figured that uh, it was going to cost about $20 million per year um, to effectively... Uh, um, implement the Micronesia Challenge. Uh, and when we looked at that, uh, the government's uh, budgets together at only half of that. And so we've been out uh, raising the money uh, for um, over the years. And like Trina said, uh, it's uh, about $85 million that we've uh, leveraged uh, thus far, which is added to the government budgets. And we've also built a $25 million endowment. Our target is to build a 50, uh, over $55 million um, endowment uh, to support this work. But we also need to increase the, um, you know, the, um, the government budgets that are going to the, um, the efforts here. Uh, by, um, you know, allocating more from uh, local revenue or creating uh, new f- uh, forms of uh, um, or sources of revenue uh, from the governments. Uh, I've, um, you know, we've we've looked at uh, uh, tourism fees, and that's worked well in Palau until uh, the COVID-19 sort of ruined it. Uh, we've also looking at uh, uh, getting the governments to agree to some of the uh, tuna f- uh, money that they raised through their fiscal day schemes going towards supporting some of the work and 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 uh, looking at the others other um, we we have a really uh, partnership now with the blue prosperity coalition added by the weight uh, institute and the weight foundation and uh, looking at uh, um, other blue economies uh, to support this but a lot of the a lot of the funding has come from the u.s uh, federal agencies, the Department of Interior, NOAA, um, U.S. Forest Service, uh, a number of uh, U.S. Uh, private foundations, 
and some of the multilateral uh, donor agencies like the uh, Global Environment Facility and the Green, uh, Green Climate Fund, uh, the European Union, and, and others. So we, we're sourcing uh, our, our uh, sources of funding are quite diversified uh, uh, between not just what NCT is raising, but between what everybody is bringing in. Even the governments are bringing in grants that are supporting Micronesia Challenge work. We have um, some questions that have been submitted to the panel, so I'm going to sort of go through those to um, to our dear uh, viewers who are who are watching and listening. Um, you have at your disposal an extraordinary panel with with a, a sort of breathtaking level, uh, amount of knowledge about this region and and about these issues. So I urge you to um, to submit your questions, but but some people have got in early and um, and sent them in. The first question I'd like to ask, uh, and I, I forgive me, I, I haven't been told uh, from whom it's come or where it's come from, but um, and 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 this is to to the to, to the whole panel. Um, follows on a little bit from from what Willie just mentioned there. Um, the the question the questioner asks: I assume COVID is really affecting Micronesia's tourism and local income. Is that affecting the Micronesia Challenge's ability to move forward on 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 what you're trying to protect? What is? I mean, this this global pandemic has. Um, laid waste to economies and and plans um, all over the world. What is it? What has it done for 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 efforts towards conservation um, in Micronesia? Well, I can go first. I, I mean, um, like I mentioned, Palau's uh, tourism has been devastated. So uh, they were putting. Uh, they have a green fee which is associated with their tourism that goes into their protected area network. And um, you know, unfortunately, the tourism dried up in Palau. So. Uh, but fortunately, they've been putting aside uh, some of that into the Micronesia Challenge Endowment. And so we were able to give them um, back uh, some of that money to help to continue to, um, you know, work on their Micronesia Challenge uh, efforts. But the other two, um, the other um, organizations, I mean, countries uh, and jurisdictions, um, especially the Federated States of Micronesia and Marshall Islands have uh, very little tourism, so we haven't been affected as much. And the fishing seems to continue. Um, you know, they're, they're able to sell the, the uh, number of days to the fishing uh, vessels, uh, so that uh, continues. And it hasn't really dried up uh, that much uh, for us, uh, th though it's affected the, um, the, the port uh, um, and, and what they raise uh, from local revenues from um, because they're not allowing these uh, fishing vessels to port. Uh, but um, we've also received um, a lot of support from the U.S. Uh, government and others. Uh, the countries have been receiving, um, you know, uh, COVID uh, relief funding uh, because of our uh, association with the U.S., and we have uh, received uh, funding from the U.S., Japan, and uh, China as well. So um, it hasn't affected us as much as, um, you know, we had uh, thought it would. Some of the other comments uh, the, the, uh, that are coming through, I'm, I'm going to merge um, a couple of questions here together. Um, uh, I... I a, a viewer writes, I appreciate the positive can-do attitude of these speakers, especially when climate change challenges have been created by others. And I think that's, that raises a, a really interesting moral point, is that people in small island states, people across the Pacific, are bearing the brunt of climate change's impacts firsthand 
despite those places being the parts of the world that have contributed least to climate change. The, the, the Pacific is the region of the world that has, that has produced the fuelst emissions of any, but it is feeling first and most acutely the, the impacts of climate change. And, and there is, a, there is a, a deep injustice about that. And I suppose um, this links to the, the next question that's been uh, sent in. And I, again, this is open to the panel. Is it hard for you all, as it is for us, I think, in Hawaii, to see climate change as a sort of political football in other places of the world where people don't really see and feel the impacts firsthand? Uh, okay, go. Uh, yes, because I used to live in Washington, D.C., and constantly met people that didn't really think it was that big an issue. Um, and I think, um, but now I live in New Zealand and it's a very big issue here. Uh, but I think even in countries like New Zealand, how it's being dealt with can be different between um, even vulnerable communities and kind of maybe the mainstream. So there's, I think, lots of things we can learn. But definitely, I think it's why um, I'm a, in the face of all um, other things we could be doing differently than this because it's not always easy to work on these issues. Um, I just feel a personal commitment for those very reasons to continue to try and help raise the voice, share the stories and make sure um, that we can do our part to really amplify um, both the leaders of country of island countries but also the stories of local people who are trying to do things. And obviously that's not exactly what we're trying to do in this panel as a different purpose, mm -hmm. but I think it's really critical that, that those voices are shared, um, that those people are able to tell their story. And I think what you'll mm -hmm. find, I remember going to Tuvalu, another small island country that has, is a atoll, very similar situation to Marshall Islands. And I asked them, Oh, why, why are you, um, why are you working on this biodiversity strategy? You know, it's not, you know, I've got many other issues. And they said, because it's important to us and we can't give up. And so I always think about mm. that. I think it's, you know, I hear it also from people who represent these countries in climate change conventions who are negotiators. It's really difficult to face people that don't um, have this perspective that this is a, a crisis but they don't give up and we can't either. And uh, Ben, if I might add, I would just say, um, similar to the themes we've talked about of punching above your weight or uh, you know, really showing leadership, the islands really showed leadership with the Madro Declaration a few years back. And it was basically saying, not just, hey, you big um, countries that are causing more of the emissions, et cetera, you need to do something. It was, we're committed to doing something internally. We're going to lead and we're going to make changes on our own islands. We're going to look at green energy solutions. We're going to look, you know, we're going to do that. And you have to do it too, because you're causing a lot more of the problem than we are. So I think that's also really um, uh, a great example of, of this idea that um, we're not just sitting back hoping that the, the other countries will do something. It's, it's really demonstrating leadership from the islands, saying we have the most at stake and we're going to lead by example and you need to get on board and help. Yeah, no, it's 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 a very interesting issue to, to, to both those issues that that Kate and and Trina raised. I mean, I, I'm I'm sitting in in Sydney at the moment in, in Australia, and, and and Australia has historically been very deeply in, 
involved um, and 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 uh, and uh, close allies with with uh, Pacific Island states, particularly in 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 the South Pacific. But there is an emerging and in in lots of cases quite acute um, schism between Australia and Pacific Island states because of Australia's commitment to things like coal and and uh, you know Australia is a big coal miner and a coal exporter, and the Pacific Island states say. And 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 Australia uh, Australia makes the argument. Well, this is you know critical to our economy and these sorts of things. And, and Pacific Island states say, well, so this is not a political. This is not an economic argument. Right? This is existential. If you keep doing this, we don't have an island anymore. Um, and and that disconnect in sort of understanding what sort of problem we're talking about. Where whereas wealthy large states often see this as a as a political issue to be managed, an economic issue to be managed. For, for for lots of island states that are vulnerable to this, this is existential. This is this is the the the, the very survival of these islands and and these communities. Um, to that point, um, another question coming in: um, How is the new administration and uh, I, they by that the the new Biden administration? How is the new Biden administration in the US supporting this work in Micronesia, or is it too soon to tell? Well, I think their the declaration to support the island networks. Um, you know, is is a good start. Um, you know, we've had good support uh, um, in terms of the Micronesia Challenge. We've we didn't have any interruptions during the uh, previous administration as well because we have uh, people within the Department of Interior and NOAA and U.S. Forest Service that are really committed to the Pacific uh, Islands and especially to Micronesia. So we've actually had the same amounts of uh, support in terms of technical and financial support from the U.S. Um, um, federal uh, agencies. But we are hoping that uh, more um, support will come our way. Um, and not, not just talking about funding, but uh, more um, policies that impact um, the global um, climate uh, change uh, that uh, we are all asking uh, the larger countries to uh, focus on while we focus on the things that we can work on. I think, yeah. Ben, um, with the announcement last week of, of this network and the idea of its own islands as peers with other islands, we start to see a kind of a shift in the thinking, which is more of an island way of thinking. Um, mm. I think we hope that that influences the bigger policy decisions of countries like the United States on and how they do things. And, yeah, definitely resources are useful, but as Willie said, it's, it's the policies, it's making the right changes, it, it's the things that are going to kind of sustain all of us, not just um, these islands. So, and I think by inviting President Kabua um, in, at, to the yep. summit at that level, um, that is a really strong signal of the desire to listen to not just the major emitters, but also the those that are most vulnerable. We have a question, and I'm 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 not sure that I've, that there's been much movement on this, but it, but it's certainly an interesting one. The questioner asks, uh, what is the status of addressing the nuclear waste in Runet Dome? The Runet Dome, for those who don't know, is a, is a sort of giant concrete sarcophagus in the in the Marshall Islands, um, where uh, nuclear waste from testing um, in the archipelago was was basically collected and, and pushed, and it is it is it is posing a uh, a significant and severe and ongoing. Um, environmental threat. Um, the question is, has anyone under the new US administration pushed for the formal recognition of this threat? I'm wondering if there's any movement on the issue of the Runet Dome. I, I can start in that I don't, I'm not sure 
specifically about the Rennet Dome, but I know that the um, Secretary Holland, the new Secretary of Interior, has a real commitment to um, uh, environmental justice, and, and so uh, that might be uh, pointing in the direction of some sort of um, commitment, but Willie might have more information. Unfortunately, I don't, and I, I don't know uh, where um, the status is right now uh, of the, uh, the dome. I do know that, uh, I, you know, this, um, Japan's latest decision to dump Mm-hmm. nuclear waste and uh, is um, getting some backlash from many of the Pacific Islanders. Uh, I, I wish uh, we w- would have the same reaction to the Runet Dome when it comes out uh, as well, because, uh, you know, um, those uh, are both uh, threats that uh, we need to um, be more mindful of. We are approaching the end of our time, but we, we do have time for one last question. And there's an excellent question that's come in here. And this goes to all three panelists. I'd, I'd, I'd love to get an answer from, from all of you on this. Um, and the questioner puts it beautifully. I know I'm asking you to choose your favourite child here, but is there a favourite project you have worked on or seen as, as a result of the Micronesia Challenge? That is really tough. It is asking <laughs> you to pick your favourite child. Um, but I, I will just say I've been so proud and pleased to be a part of the Guam Green Growth Initiative. Um, I'm a vice chair of the Sustainable Alliances Working Group and just working um, with such an incredible group of broadly of people and the governor and lieutenant governor, Josh Tenorio. So Governor Lou, Unger, Lou Leon Guerrero and um, Lieutenant Governor Josh Tenorio have been great leading this effort. So working with the University of Guam, the Center of Island Sustainability, a bunch of really amazing people in all the agencies has been um, really exciting just the last couple of years. So that's kind of top of mind for me. Uh, I was going to say, say I, I also love Guam Green Growth. Just It's got so much dynamism. It's quite an amazing um, initiative. And then I think what I really appreciate is the scholarship scheme, the Bill Rayner scholarship scheme, a person um, that we knew very well, and just some of the amazing young people that are coming up and being supported to become the next generation of leaders. Um, we heard from one of them last week. They're amazing. We, you know, I, I, I'd i like to hear more from them there. Um, and I think that's been really inspiring to me. But the whole Micronesia challenge, to be honest, because I'm looking more from a global perspective, is mm. like a favourite child. Yes, um, Kate just stole what I was going to say because <laughs> for me, the, uh, the capacity support especially to our young people, to the young champions uh, of Micronesia, uh, the new leaders that we're, um, you know, supporting to take our place. Uh, those would be the people. But I also uh, think a lot about the communities that are involved and the fact that they are the ones who are making a difference on the ground. And when you see uh, them, um, you know, work on solutions that not just um, support conservation, but also have tangible benefits to them, then uh, that makes me feel really good because it, it, it's uh, what we're trying to do here. We're trying to help the people of Micronesia uh, be able to sustain their lives uh, through the work that we're doing with the Micronesia Challenge. And so uh, that's uh, gratifying uh, to me. Thank you. 
We've had um, we've had a, a question come through just at the very end on the uh, on, on the YouTube chat, and it's a terrific question. So I'd I'd, I'd like to again put it to the to the whole panel. Um, uh, could you talk about any wildlife species that may be endangered that you're working to save through this work? Well, there's a few. Um, you know, we have um, the the turtles. Um, that are, um, you know, we're, we've just uh, put in place a, um, a turtle sanctuary, one of the largest atolls in Micronesia. Um, it's, it's in Pompeii called Ant Atoll, just uh, became a turtle sanctuary uh, by state law um, recently. So, um, you know, that's one species that's uh, a focus of our work here as well. But there are so many others. Um, and and there's also invasive species that we're trying to get rid of um, that are also uh, one of the main uh, threats to our biodiversity. I can add that um, when I mentioned that some of those uh, fisheries management policies um, were certainly around iconic species like um, groupers, um, Napoleon wrasse, the the bumphead parrotfish, um, and, and so really targeted to help those slow-growing delicious fish to have a fighting chance to um, reproduce and, and to reseed the reef. Um, so th those are some other um, major species that have certainly benefited from the Micronesia challenge. Well, look, an enormous thank you to our panelists. This was just such a fascinating discussion. I had a, a great seat. I had the best seat in the house to be able to be part of this fascinating discussion, like the best dinner party I've ever been invited to um, at nine o'clock in the morning where it is in Sydney. Um, Trina, before we go, for audience members who want to know more about the Micronesia Challenge, how they can support the work to get involved, to, to understand more about the work that it's doing, um, where, where should they go? Um, thanks, Ben. There are a few options. Uh, the Micronesia Challenge partnership website itself is micronesiachallenge, all one word, no spaces, dot org. Um, the Nature Conservancy has a page devoted to this and some um, amazing stories, and that's nature.org slash micronesia. Um, and you can also learn more from um, our point of contact, uh, Marikar Boyle. Her email is mboyle at tnc.org. And then Willie's organization, MCT, their website is Our Micronesia, all one word, dot org. And Kate, um, representing Global Island Partnership, is glispa, G-L-I-S-P-A dot org. Thank you very much, Trina, and thank you as well. Can I my, my enormous thanks to Kate, Will, and to the Commonwealth Club, our hosts. We'd also I'd also like to thank um, our audience for their thoughtful and, and perspicacious questions and their engagement uh, this afternoon, this morning. Um, the Commonwealth Club's Asia Pacific Affairs Forum will hold more good news forums. Um, details can be found on the club's website. The program you just watched and others like it will soon be posted also on the club's website, which is www. Dot commonwealthclub.org. I now um, declare this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California in its 119th year of enlightened discussion adjourned. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.